When you need to refuel between meetings or running errands, or you just want a healthy snack that squashes your hunger, wonderful pistachios, which come in a variety of flavors and sizes, by the way, are the perfect choice to fill you up and keep you going throughout the day. Wonderful Pistachios is also a good source of protein and a zero-guilt snack. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, guys, which gives you over 10% of your daily value. And with flavors like salt and pepper, sweet chili, and seasoned salt in the shelled variety, options like chili roasted, sea salt, and vinegar or jalapeno lime in the no-shell variety, you're sure to please your taste buds while snacking healthy. So check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, who has not taken advantage of the week-free trial of the fitness app yet? Check it out. It is a one-stop shop for all your fitness, nutrition, and wellness needs. Custom meal plans, personalized workout programs, meditations, sleep programs, community, support, and so much more. You can use it on any device, anywhere, any place, anytime. No equipment needed or all the equipment in the world is in there. There's yoga, there's kickboxing, there's audio-only workouts, there's HIIT training, weight loss programs, prenatal programs, anything and everything you can think of is in the fitness app. And if you go to the fitnessapp.com slash podcast deal, you can get 25% off an annual subscription for $89.99 a year. So check it out and start your free trial today. Welcome to Keeping It Real Conversations with Jillian Michaels. Today's guest, guys, is Dr. Molly Maloof. She's talking about her new book, The Spark Factor, Supercharge Your Batteries for Limitless Energy and a Fitter, Stronger, More Resilient Future. This is specific. Batteries is referring to your mitochondria, which have been dubbed the battery packs on our cells. They are the new hot topic in wellness. And maybe you guys have heard me say, oh, it helps with mitochondrial biogenesis on the podcast or in the blogs or on the YouTube channel. And you're like, what the F is she talking about? I'm talking about making those battery packs on our cells, A, work better, right? Not have malfunctions. B, get rid of the ones that don't work and C, create new ones. Uh, now, I am not uh, an expert in any way, shape, or form. You guys know that I am constantly um, digesting, devouring, if you will, the work of the experts, Dr. Molly Maloof being one of them. So whether it's microbiome or your liver health or endocrine health, mitochondrial health is a big deal right now. And I'm glad it's getting the focus that it is because <laughs> these little bad boys play a monster role in your overall wellness and in particular a variety 
of critical aspects of your wellness, whether it's hormones, whether it's metabolism, whether it's immunity, whether it's longevity. Now, I'm not going to dig in because I'm going to let Dr. Malouf dig in. Um, but I want you guys always, okay, so I'm going to set this up as uh, in the most empowering fashion I possibly can. There are certain shows where we give you, we, we give you the common sense. You're like, I know, get my sleep, manage my stress. Like, I know, Jill. This one's a bit of a different beast. This is the most, I think, we have advocated for, um, will explain effectively, and subsequently teach you how to use biohacking. There are elements in this book that I was kind of flabbergasted by. So on this show, what Dr. Malouf does, or in her book, which is subsequently going to be outlined on this show, she digs into all these cool little neato things, but explains not just why they work, not just how to do them, but there's something else that she's going to teach us called the toggle effect. And it's when to turn them on and turn them off in order for them to be the most effective. And by the way, remember that we're talking about different things on the show throughout the history of the show that strategically stress you. So whether exercise is providing strategic physical stress or intermittent fasting is providing a strategic metabolic stressor, right? We've even talked about supplements that mimic hormesis, right? Which is these small strategic bouts of stress. You don't want too much stress. You don't want chronic stress. So you want to use these things very efficiently and very effectively, or they can become counterintuitive. So that's one of the things that I really got excited about when I was going through this book, because she's going to give you guys all the 101, but she like, she took it to, you know, if iPhone had a version, she takes this thing to like iPhone version 50. Like she goes, all the way out there to things that I've never heard of, didn't understand, and digs so deep into the data that um, you know it's it's not mainstream at all, which I find so exciting. And another thing that I love in particular, and that we seek out, okay, for the guests on this show, in particular the ones that are giving us medical advice, is that they are not just practicing physicians, often lecturers, they're also scientists. So whether it's Dr. Lee or whether it's Dr. Umanayu or whether it's Dr. Chutkan or Dr. Hazan or you, know, you name the expert and today it's Dr. Malouf or Dr. Moscone, right? They're, they're doing research. They're actively researching. Generally, they're usually PhDs and MDs. This is important because they're not just taking that main line of generic information from the pharmaceutical companies or, you know, oh, this is what I learned in medical school. And they taught me nothing about nutrition and nothing about fitness and nothing about lifestyle. And I had to learn it on my own. These guys are doing the deep work. So they're, they're doing the research. They're on the forefront of these frontiers, doing the research and creating the curriculums and the protocols. But they're also able to dig into the logs, pull out all of these studies, understand them, disseminate them for us, and subsequently connect the dots. And to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, this is something that I did many, many, many years ago um, with a registered dietitian and a biochemist on my book, Making the Cut. So for those of you who read that book, you may recall that we had, quote, oxidizer types. I was like, what oxidizer type are you, right? So it was like 
It referred to how quickly do you oxidize your food, meaning convert your food into glucose, okay? Now then, glucose being sugar in the blood to be utilized as energy. So we were looking at individuals in the studies that had a different hormonal response to the same foods. Now, we didn't understand that the mechanism as we now believe it to be was microbiome a microbiome difference, right? Having different microbes in your gut, but nevertheless, there was a difference. So it was like, all right, how do we determine what your, right? What your hormonal response is to food? Why, right? So there's a whole quiz in there of like learning to listen to your body, learning to see how you feel after different foods, really helping you evaluate your own biofeedback to make the smart food choices, to stabilize your blood sugar best, to help keep your energy levels up, right? And to help you not get hungry as quickly, period. It was a diet book. But what did we do? We were way ahead of the game looking at that stuff. Again, we didn't understand the mechanism in particular, but we knew there was a different response to food in each and every one of us. And we were helping individuals based on that fact determine where they fell into the category to optimize their energy levels for all the reasons I just mentioned. So there are certain individuals on the field of medicine that are not just creating the research, that are able to disseminate all of this different research, connect the dots, and give us a powerful game plan. Dr. Maloof is one of them. So don't just think mitochondria is not sexy and you don't care. It's super effing sexy, and it plays into all of the areas of wellness I already mentioned, from longevity to hormones to metabolism, and the list goes on. I'm going to stop talking and bring on the pro. Get excited, because we're going to be right back with Dr. Molly Maloof talking about her new book, The Spark Factor. All right, team. You know I love Skims underwear because I've mentioned them and have been wearing them for, gosh, a little over a year now. So I finally had to try their bras, and Skims has delivered yet again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. Even the underwire bras I wear all day are so comfortable, I barely even notice I'm wearing them. Whether it's the weightless scoop bra, the fits everybody bra, the plunge bra, uh, the fits everybody t-shirt bra... I always get them in sand, so you never notice them. Super comfortable. Love them. Wear them nonstop all the time. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com now. Available in 62 sizes, 38 to 46 each, plus get free shipping on orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know I sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop-down menu that follows. Your business was going great, but now your team is buried in manual work. If this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,025, one. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less. Close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Jillian. 
That's netsuite.com slash Jillian to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash Jillian. All right, we are back with Dr. Molly Maloof, author of The Spark Factor, Supercharge Your Batteries for Limited Energy and a Fitter, Stronger, More Resilient Future. Doc, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jillian. To preface, I have a broad understanding of mitochondria and what they do, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think most people have next to no understanding. So I want to just start off with the broad strokes here. Sure. What is the spark factor about? Let's go all the way back to the beginning and build from there. What's the book about? Okay. So what a lot of people don't know about life itself is that we literally, if we did, if we don't have functioning mitochondria, we're dead. Right. So like the reason why cyanide will kill you so quickly is because it literally shuts off mitochondrial function. And if you don't have energy flow through your cells, you are not alive. So energy is life and lack of energy and lack of functioning cells is death. Now, mitochondria are the power plants of the cell. So they make the energy. We eat food. We breathe air. We literally burn the food in our cells to create life, to create energy, right? But our mitochondria are not just making the energy. They're also deciding where it's going to go. So one of the biggest things we didn't learn in school, which I didn't learn in medical school, I didn't even learn in you know grade school, was that the the mitochondria are almost like the general contractors of the cell. They're literally trying to sense and integrate the environment to decide, okay, am I here to survive? Am I alive? Okay, cool. Can I reproduce and can I connect? And it's this constant interplay between our mitochondrial function and our hormones and our immune system that helps us function and stay alive. So when people get really, really stressed out, their cortisol levels go up. And this can also cause hormone dysfunction. And what a lot of people don't know about mitochondria is that they actually help produce stress hormones. There is enzymes in the outer mitochondrial membrane that literally help create epinephrine and norepinephrine. There's also, they also produce cortisol and the adrenals. So that's really interesting, but they also play a role in sex hormone production. So that's what I mean by they're helping decide where the energy goes. They're literally deciding like, what am I gonna do with this energy? Am I going to keep this this body alive? Am I going to try to help this body reproduce? And that's kind of the core programming of existence. Our biology wants us to survive and it wants us to propagate life. And so it does that through helping us with reproduction and human connection. And one of the most interesting things about mitochondria that people don't realize is that they're also social organelles. So they they actually behave kind of like little people, which is crazy. And I never knew this until I read this paper by the scientist, Martin Picard. And he was talking about how they, they literally come together and they talk to each other and they resonate and they literally decide, okay, they break apart. And then the ones that are no longer functioning properly, they get tossed out like batteries and the ones that are functioning properly, properly continue to work. So there's a lot of really interesting parallels and, um, and sort of science behind life itself. And it starts with mitochondria. I've always thought of them as like, oh, little battery packs on our cells. And what they do is they make these cells function properly so the cells can do their job. Yeah. Which I was like, well, what are, are we like 37 trillion cells, doc, or something? It's like, or something? Right. Yeah. So with, with these guys, I was always under the impression that if these guys malfunction, our cells malfunction. Yep. Every cell in the body can malfunction. And then you open up a host of diseases, right? Ac- yes. Across the board. Yes, um, exactly. Okay, but now you're telling me that there's a little more to this in that they make choices of what the cell's going to do. That's 
totally new news to me. Yeah, that's new news so, to me too. I mean, it took me reading all this research from all these mitochondrial experts and talking to them one-on-one. -on -one. And it was like, I was like, wait, I thought these things were just for energy. And like, yeah. no, they're, they're a lot more than that. And interesting, there was a great book that was just published. It's called Brain Energy. It's by Christopher Palmer, MD. And he's basically suggesting that mitochondrial dysfunction and energy deficiency is actually a huge proponent of mental illness too. So it's not just about metabolic health. It's also about mental health. And that's why they're so important because they're just, it's, it's, it's like they're in every cell, they're in almost every cell. And I think the only cell that we don't have them in is our red blood cells because the red blood cells carry oxygen. And so, um, we don't really want to like, it, apparently it was like an, it was like a, a choice by evolution not to be put into the red blood cells because oxygen is really flammable. So, um, but it's fascinating stuff, really fascinating stuff and highly recommend that book brain energy. And also my book, the spark factor, if you want to learn about how mitochondria function in, in health and disease. Okay. So now I want to recap a little bit of what you said to, to make sure that I'm grasping it. So these guys play a role in not just how the cells function, right? By giving them energy. Yeah. Which is what you're talking about when you say metabolic health. So right. could you elaborate a little bit on exactly what metabolic health is? Could you explain a type two diabetes connection to that yeah. as well? Okay. Metabolism is like a bunch of gears in your cells that are constantly turning in order to maintain life. Right. And the big thing is we need energy and ATP. So when we eat food and breathe air, as I mentioned, it gets burned into energy. And so what's happening is it's creating an electrochemical gradient in the cell, which is literally making like a battery and a capacitor. So you have these mitochondria functioning to give your cells energy to do work, right? You need, you need energy to do work. Otherwise you don't feel, you know, you don't feel like you have any energy. Now, when it comes to diabetes, there's a problem because the cell has become insulin resistant. And in order to get the substrate, which is glucose or fats, in order to get substrates into the cell, in particular, glucose is really needed, um, you actually need insulin. And so insulin unlocks the door into the cell to enable the fuel to get inside the cell so it can be burned. But if you have diabetes, then what's happened is that your cells have become insulin resistant, which means that they're no longer, that, that they're not getting unlocked properly because the, the locks are no longer working, the, the, the keys are no longer working well to unlock the door, to let the glucose in so they can be used. So what happens is, is the cells, even though there's plenty of fuel around in the bloodstream, the cells don't get the fuel. And so if the cells don't have the fuel, then they are not going to make energy. And this is why it's such a problem for so many different organ systems when you have diabetes and insulin resistance. And also what a lot of people don't realize is that one in three people have prediabetes, which right. means one in three people and 80% of those people don't know it. Right. So, are people walking around on their way to getting chronic metabolic diseases, which means basically at least half of cancers, most heart disease, diabetes, and, and most dementia is due to insulin resistance and metabolic dysfunction on a cellular level. And so how does this happen? Well, there's a bunch of different hypotheses. The big one is, is that overconsumption of food over and over and over again is gonna basically make the cell kind of like, if you're like in the kitchen, you keep on bringing food into the kitchen and the kitchen has no more room. Right. It's gonna be like, I'm sorry, I'm gonna lock the door. So that's just like the overfueling hypothesis. But then there's also stress and cortisol will create insulin resistance on purpose as an adaptive response 
to enable you to get out of danger. So in the past with acute stress in primitive times, if you had cortisol, if you had stress, you'd release cortisol and that would basically shunt any blood sugar you had to the brain. And so it was like a temporary thing, but the problem is we have chronic stress all the time. And that makes us much more insulin resistant regularly. And then there's things like exercise. So like, if you don't exercise your body, it's actually really, really problematic for your cellular health because your cells want to be using the fuel that they have around. And if we're not using our fuel, it can also contribute to problems like insulin resistance in the, in, in the muscles. So just like sitting around with too much fuel that's not being burned, it's not good for, for cellular health. It's not good for muscle health. So we do need to move our bodies really consistently. And then there's a lot of different um, hormone disruptors in the environment, endocrine disruptors and toxins. And just having too much of a toxic burden can contribute to insulin resistance. Like when I was in Lebanon, I was wearing a blood sugar monitor and I had I'd been visiting um, other countries prior and Lebanon had such terrible air quality that my blood sugar went up 10 points from just being in Lebanon. And I know it was the, the air quality was the biggest change in the environment. And so just living in a polluted area is going to cause stress on the cells. And that can, so, so when people think about diabetes, they always think about food and then maybe they think about exercise and then maybe they think about stress, but, but we're not really thinking about some of these other bigger factors, which is things like our environment. Oh my God. Is this the levels device you're talking about? Yeah. So levels uses what's known as an Abbott freestyle Libre, which is a continuous glucose monitor that right. you wear on your arm and I'm wearing one today and levels will, is like a software layer on top of this device. Um, there's actually a bunch of companies that create these continuous glucose monitors, maybe four right now that I know of, but I started using continuous glucose monitoring in 2014. So I was oh one of the gosh. first doctors to start using these and I was borderline pre-diabetic and I was what? in my early thirties. Yeah. So here, I so I had been, um, I had been basically, on um, Adderall and I went off of Adderall. And what a lot of people don't realize is that when you go off of stimulant medication, you it does change your metabolism. So you can gain weight. And I had gained some weight and I also um, had been eating a fair amount of gluten-free foods that I thought were healthy, but right, they but were high carbohydrates. Yeah. So I were fine carbs and I had I still ate too much sugar at the time of my life. And so I was just starting my career. I had only been two years out of medical school. And I, and I really thought that I was doing what I needed to do to be healthy, but I wasn't actually doing a lot of things that I needed to be healthy. I wasn't exercising enough. I was yep. spending too much time in front of the computer. I was not getting enough sunlight. And I definitely, um, you know, had gained a few pounds. And so I'd become insulin resistant without even knowing it. So I worked very diligently over the next few years, really working hard on improving my fitness, reducing my stress, changing my diet, getting off of sugar getting more sunlight and, and optimizing my micronutrient status. And I was able to now, I mean, if I actually look at my blood sugar today, it's like 70. I want to back up for a second and recap. Sure. In your book, you talk about a human energy crisis, which I believe yes. you've just laid out for us right now. So for yeah. everybody listening, that's chronically tired. Oh, I don't get enough sleep. Oh, I don't drink enough water. Oh, I have kids. Yeah. It's that and everything you just talked about then, correct? All other things. Poor diet. Lack yeah. of exercise, sedentary lifestyle on top of chronic stress. stress that is creating yeah. this level of exhaustion. Well, what it's doing is, is it's actually, it is causing exhaustion. So like when people get burned out, there is, it's, it's work-related exhaustion, right? It's literally, you have been under so much stress for so many months that your metabolic health is failing you. And I've been burned out before. So I know what it's like to feel that tired. Um, when people get chronic fatigue syndrome, 
what's happening in their situation. This is another thing that nobody talks about. You can get diabetes from an infection. You can get- Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Yeah. What? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so how? When people, get viral, when people can get major viral infections, what happens is viruses go inside the cells and they hijack your metabolic machinery to do their own bidding. They want to reproduce themselves. So this is part of the reason why some people, when they get COVID, they end up with diabetes. This has definitely been proven in the literature. So intracellular and intracellular infections are really, really problematic for health. Um, they basically, you know, they basically damage metabolism. And when I um had COVID, I remember my skin was just gray. I was just, I looked terrible. Oh my God, that I, my you skin know? was gray when I had it the last time. It gray. was legit it, gray. And I was like, what energy is this? deficiency? You don't have energy running, you don't have enough energy. And that's why you're so tired, you know? So I, look, I, I was actually studying um, viruses the summer before the COVID pandemic. And I was like, oh my God, how is it that doctors have been thinking that chronic fatigue syndrome is this, this like psychosomatic illness? It's like, there's clearly a real condition and it's that infections get inside the cell, they hide from the immune system and they hijack metabolic machinery. So when people think of chronic COVID, what they're actually dealing with is chronic fatigue. And it's a consequence of infections that cause havoc on the cells massive inflammation and metabolic dysfunction. And so people get widespread dysfunction. They get heart conditions, they get paresthesias, nervous system changes, mental health problems can, can, can come after infections. And it's, it's, it's literally like a brownout in the body. And when you have a big brownout, you're going to see widespread dysfunction across multiple body systems. That's why mitochondria are, are so important. And so problematic when we get sick. Holy cow. Okay. We know they play a role in how we're utilizing energy. We know they play a role in how we're directing the cells with regard to biochemistry and hormone balance, right? So fertility, stress management, all the things. Um, what in particular is telling them uh, make cortisol, make us infertile? Is that just a stress mechanism where they're like, oh, we're super stressed, not a good time for a baby? Or is it shit food that's doing it, right? Like, what is telling them go yeah. right, go yeah. left? There, so there's a few things going on here. So, I mean, there's a there's a really big discussion that we need to have around stress and stress signaling if we want to answer this question properly. So we 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 evolved to actually experience stress in a right, way and adapt. That, that would that would make us adapt and become stronger. So stress is not bad. It's just the amount of stress over a period of time that can be problematic for health. And the, the reason why it's problematic is because we have these set points in our bodies and our cells, right? We have these blood pressure, blood sugar, um, and temperature, right? We've got these set points. And when, when you think about a your body, like a house, if the house gets stressed and gets enough, like if you, if you see a house in a hurricane, it's a stressed house. Stuff's going to break. And so your thermostat might break, right? Or your air conditioning might break. Similar things happen in the cellular level when you're under enough stress is the metabolism can break. The blood pressure can break. You literally can change these set points because they can no longer maintain normal homeostasis over time. The thing about stress in, in like what I would call, there's kind of like wartime metabolism, peacetime metabolism. So when you're under a lot of stress, it's like wartime metabolism. And according to, um, Robert Navio, he hypothesizes there's this thing called the cell danger response. And it's when the cell changes its metabolic functioning to protect itself under severe stress. 
And the biggest theory that we're that one of the biggest theories that he supposes is that it's possible that a lot of chronic diseases are the result of a person being under chronic stress over so long that their cell gets stuck in that state and it can't go back to peacetime because it's stuck in wartime metabolism. And when you're under significant stress, you're going to be more insulin resistant because you're going to try to protect yourself and send that blood sugar to the brain. But that can, you, the, the scary thing is that some people, they don't return back to baseline. Their metabolisms get stuck and they get, they get chronically ill. And so this is really one of the biggest questions in chronic disease today is how do we get a body out of the state of chronic unsafety? Now, the thing about unsafety you have to understand is that there's a lot of reasons why a body can feel stressed and unsafe. There's, you know, like a big one in society is just financial insecurity, right? Just poverty, not having enough money can make you feel deeply unsafe. Course, how do you sure. can trigger your survival mechanism. You're going to constant have state. Do I have a person who's homeless, who's in the street all day long, people think homelessness is a choice. A lot of these people have not chosen to be homeless. They've, they've, they've ran out of money. They don't have a house over their head. And then living in the street is really dangerous to mental health because you have to stay awake at night to protect yourself. And you sleep during the day because you can, and then you don't have access to good food, right? So food insecurity is a really problematic stressor in the body. So um, and then just food quality, right? When you're, when, when people are impoverished in America and they don't have access to high quality food, they're going to eat packaged processed, cheap foods. It's it's like $2 to eat at McDonald's, right? Or yeah, burger. Of course. And, like, Absolutely. Foods, and then these foods are inflammatory. These foods cause widespread inflammation and stress on a cellular level because they're high fat, yep. high carb preservative filled foods with lots of refined carbohydrates and lots of refined fats. And those things are really, really problematic. They're also nutrient deficient. Oftentimes they don't have enough nutrient density. So now you're eating all those calories, but you're not getting any micronutrients. And so you're now you're in a, right. your body's starving for the things that it needs to Jesus. run its metabolism. Right. Okay. Right? So doc, last question here then with regard to the role of our mitochondria. Yeah. Would be immunity. What role are they playing yeah in immunity and there's also longevity jesus all right yeah, i know <laughs> yeah, longevity so plays back into all of it though correct because well, immunity is really important for longevity it's really really key because as as is our energy levels and all the things yeah. we're talking about so arguably longevity is the umbrella encompassing hormone balance metabolic sure. disease all by okay so immunity in particular though i yeah. i don't understand this mechanism of mitochondria's role here? Is it just when they go wrong, you get sick or do they so, do something else? There's a, there's a bi-directional relationship between inflammation and mitochondrial function. So we know, so when I think about inflammation, I like to conceptualize it as like an overheated engine, right? The cells are producing too much heat and they're kind of overheating and they're breaking. And then when you think about like exhaust, like what I would call reactive oxygen species, it's like when the cell's throwing off too much exhaust, like a car, it's got a bunch of black smoke coming out of the back. We do need some reactive oxygen species and some inflammation. It's not all bad. A little, Hold it's, on. It's, reactive oxygen species or free radicals, right? Free radicals, yeah. Right. I think people are a little more familiar with that, like the oxidative stress, sure. free radicals that yeah. age the shit out of us, putting it lightly and, right. and create yeah. disease. Okay, remember, sorry, continue. Remember, in short short doses of ROS or, 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 or oxidants, it can be actually, they can actually sense, they can be signaling molecules, which is something that I did not know. I thought that all oxidation was bad, 
And then I was like, nope, some oxidation is actually kind of like smoke signals. They actually send cellular messages throughout the cell. And sometimes it's actually important for a repair. It sends a signal to the cell. You need to come repair the cell. Right. Now, so it hence the strategic stress concept of like, yes. we have a little bit of stress and now the body has to adapt to the yes. stress, thereby making it fitter, stronger, healthier, right. and so on. I understand. Right. So a little okay. bit of rust are good. And inflammation, some of it's reparative, right? So like if we didn't have inflammation, we wouldn't necessarily have wound healing, right? So like we need a little bit to get he to heal. A lot is when things start to break down. So if you have a lot of inflammation, you're going to end up causing mitochondrial dysfunction. But if you have mitochondrial dysfunction, you're also going to get inflammation. So there's a bidirectional relationship here, which is really key to understand. Um, mitochondria are thought to actually play a role in instigating the immune response and sending the signal that the immune response needs to turn on. Um, but if you have insufficient energy, then your immune system is not going to respond properly because it's not going to be able to mount a response. It's kind of like an army. If you don't have enough resources, your army is not going to go and be able to fight, you know? Right. Right. So it's this vicious cycle. By this stuff because it's really complex. It's very new science. It's not easy to understand, but if you look at it as a big picture situation, it can make it a little bit less confusing. Um, well, the but book spells it out very in a very accessible and straightforward way. So, you know, right now we're laying out the, the, the issue, right? The problem yeah. For everybody's chronic fatigue, exhaustion, metabolic disease, how it spreads into cancer, this, that, these are the stakes, guys. Yeah. That's what we're trying to kind of lay out for you is that this is what these little guys do. This is how important they are. This is what happens when they go south. And next we're going to come back and we're going to talk all about what's in the book. Well, this is why you got to get the book, but we're going <laughs> to outline the game plan in the book to write this ship. Yeah. So, Yeah. We're going to take a quick break for the sponsors and we will be right back with the answers to all of your questions on, okay, now what do we do with Dr. Molly Malouf talking about her new book, The Spark Factor, Supercharge Your Batteries for Limitless Energy in a Fitter, Stronger, More Resilient Future. We're going to be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, we are back with Dr. Molly Malouf talking about her new book, The Spark Factor, Supercharge your batteries for limitless energy and a fitter, stronger, more resilient future. And that's where we are going next here, Doc. Um, all right. I want to jump into some of the things that you've obviously outlined, right? Like food and fitness. Great. Are there specific foods, specific ways to train that are going to supercharge our mitochondria? And also what I forgot to ask you is, can you explain mitochondrial biogenesis and is that the same thing as supercharging our mitochondria? All right. So like, let's, let's kind of take a quick step back and just talk a little bit about mitochondrial function. So there's a way that we can create more mitochondria. It's called mitochondrial biogenesis. Right. But we also need to make sure that we throw out the mitochondria that don't carry a charge. So this is why it's good to have a solid 12 hour overnight fast. Sometimes people fast a little bit more than that. I'm not promoting fasting for everyone by any means. But, it, but exercise is another good way to create mitochondrial quality of control, to, to do what's called autophagy and mitophagy. 
and also send the signal to make more mitochondria. So my exercise is really, really key, but also so is moving your body throughout the day. So there's this thing called non-exercise. Hold on. What's mitophagy? Autophagy, I get. Mitophagy is when you throw out mitochondria that are dysfunctional. Mitophagy is actually typically throwing out metabolic or like cellular machinery, proteins that are no, that are just aren't functioning properly. So misfunctions, garbage of the cells. It's kind of like taking out the garbage. And then mitophagy is kind of like, if you think about a bunch of batteries that are no longer functioning, Yep. You kind of want to dispose of those properly because yep. right? gotcha. they're going to cause damage if you don't. And then you also want to make more mitochondria. So people who are, who are avid exercisers, people who exercise a lot, they typically live longer. I mean, generally speaking, the people with the highest VO2 max have the longest lifespans because it's a pretty good surrogate marker of mitochondrial function and oxygen carrying capacity is a, is a marker of cellular health. So we do need to exercise if we want to live a long, long time, because it's not only basically exercise reverses every single hallmark of aging, but it also is particularly good for mitochondrial function. Now, that being said, if somebody has chronic fatigue, fatigue syndrome, you're going to find exercise is a lot harder for you because right. your mitochondria right. have gotten dysfunctional because the reason why you've got chronic fatigue is because you've got broken mitochondria. Right. So you, I'm not saying don't exercise with chronic fatigue, but you're going to have to be, you're going to have to be careful with how intense you exercise because it of may course. be more tired. Now, right. for those of us who are healthy and don't have chronic fatigue, exercise is great. And moderate intensity exercise, you can pretty much do as much as you want without it being, without it causing disease. High intensity exercise, on the other hand, as healthy as it is, I wouldn't recommend going to berries every day because yep. too much training. stress. Hit training can cut more than 150 minutes a week of, of high intensity hit training exercise can actually damage mitochondrial function. So, you know, there, there's really, I've had, I've had clients that are bodybuilders that have come to me with hormone dysfunction. And I'm like, well, how much are you exercising? And they're like seven days a week. I'm like, well, you're going to need to give a rest day. <laughs> and it's funny because there are people out there that do over-exercise and can, oh, yeah. can over-stressing their cells. Jesus. So we've got an intermittent fast window. We've got fitness in relation to your fitness level and health. Level. But don't forget about NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So it's not just enough to exercise. We do need to move our bodies throughout the day. And in fact, if you don't exercise, the, the first step is getting more movement. Just, just right. move your body more. Cause like a lot of people, there's a lot of sedentary people out there. A lot, the vast majority of people I think aren't getting the recommended daily amount of exercise. Not even close. The first not thing you close. Do, first thing you can do is just start to move more. So, you know, when I'm not on podcasts, I like to use a standing desk and a lot of people have treadmill desks. A lot of people yes. are, are doing more, you know, wa- just walking for calls. I like to go on walks and do phone calls. Um, and I, I really try to ride my bike as much as I can instead of drive a car. Like I try to just move, get movement into my life. Like I break up my calls throughout the day with like making tea in the kitchen and like doing some squats here and there, but trying to break up your day and just stay moving is really hard to do when most of us are knowledge workers. So yeah, you have to actively work at it. Okay, doc, let's talk food for a second here. I'm going to make the assumption based on everything I've ever learned that it's not just food quality, but also eating intervals. You've already established a minimum of a 12 hour fast, which is you yeah. know, now in the zeitgeist. Yeah. Uh, most people understand this concept, but snacking throughout the day bad, what would your eating intervals be? And are we just deferring to common sense here of like avoid the processed grains and the refined sure. sugars or are there sure. specifics that you're, you're breaking down for us? 
Well, so there was like a bunch of research on like the sort of six small meals a day and like the idea that maybe it's going to stoke metabolism. And I, and I do think that some people when they are trying to lose weight, it does work for them. So I'm not going to say that like, if you do six meals a day, like it's going to damage your health. Oftentimes the question is, what are you snacking on? What are you eating? And the vast majority of what people snack on are packaged processed foods, right? And are sugar related foods. So food quality matters. But if you are metabolically unhealthy or obese, and not everyone who's obese is metabolically unhealthy, there's a lot of skinny fat people out there. There's a lot of people who really do carry too much visceral fat. Sure. These are the people that need to be extra careful about how often they're eating and what they're eating. Of course. They're eating the foods that are contributing to that metabolic dysfunction, and they're often overeating. So I'm one of the things that I just want to stress to people is that like snacking is one thing. And the reason why we want to limit snacking is because most snack foods are packaged, processed, ultra processed foods, right? So like the reality is, is that cutting out snacking is going to cut out those foods, but you're also pushing, you're also, every time you eat, you're producing insulin. And if you want to lose weight and you want to get more metabolically healthy, you want to lower your insulin levels because insulin is a, is a storage hormone. And now somebody who's exercising consistently and like going on long hikes and is like moving all day long, like they can justify a bit more calories, right? They sure. Sure. Absolutely. People aren't doing that. And so if you're not, then you, you shouldn't be eating as much. And one of the simplest ways to lose weight is just to cut out snacking. That being said, a lot of people don't realize that just overeating itself is problematic for cellular health because you're just, you've got too much fuel in the fuel tank and your cells have only so much metabolic, meta, only so much of a metabolic rate that they can actually consume. So I see a lot of people who are skinny fat who have actually, they have fairly, um, they have enough of a metabolism that they don't gain, they don't get obese. Right. They don't, they don't pack it. They don't store it. They've got it around the position is crap. Yeah. Body composition, that's crap, you know? Right. And so in these people, you just got to really look at what they're eating. And oftentimes they're eating whatever they want. I mean, they're in their own spot. Yes. I see it all the time. It's crazy. It's like not necessarily being healthy at any size. It's being, you could be unhealthy at any size. Yes. Is the conversation that we need to be having more of. We need to get away um, from BMI alone as a marker of health and really think about body fat percentage and body composition because muscle dense, like muscle mass is fundamentally associated with longevity. Like right. if you have strong muscles and strong bones and, and you have like, you know, some fat on your body, but if it's distributed properly, then you're going to be a lot healthier as you age. But if you have very low muscle tone, very high muscle fat, and you have low bone density, you can guarantee you're going to end up with chronic disease and frailty as you get older. What well, guys, when uh, Dr. Maloof is talking about muscle fat, she's talking about fat marbled into your yeah. muscle, uh, yeah. like a piece of steak that everybody likes that I find gross is the one with all <laughs> the fat in yeah. the, in the actual muscle of the animal. Um, yeah. Okay. Doc. Explain this one. You talk all about this in the book. Just outline. I, I, again, I know like the key guys is you got to obviously read the book, but sure. the gut energy connection. Yeah. It, you know, I know where you're going with this, but this is not one that I had ever anticipated. So oh my gosh, totally. outline this for me because I understand yeah. gut health and microbiome or I'm, I'm understanding again, the broad strokes of the integral role it plays, but with mitochondria. I know. I know. I mean, I had to really dig into the literature for this one. Cause I was like, why is it that if like, if I, if I, um, if first personally, I'm, I've, I've got celiac, so I can't eat wheat, but if I do eat wheat, 
I get an autoimmune reaction and I get like mass amount of inflammation and my brain just starts to be dysfunctional and my whole body, I can just swells up. It's terrible. And that's, that's inflammation, right? So your immune system, the vast majority of your immune system, like 80% of your immune cells are in your gut. So if you eat foods that are inflammatory to your health, you're going to mount a large inflammatory reaction. And that's also going to send signals to your mitochondria that you, that you're under threat. There's something threatening in your body. Oh, I understand. So it's, and it's, it's, so mounting that immune response is very energetically taxing, very energetically taxing. And then you have lots of inflammation, which is also problematic for mitochondrial function. So if you think about it, this bi-directional relationship between inflammation and mitochondria, you'll understand that gut health is going to play a big, big role in energy because it plays a role in just, you there's so much energy that goes into digestion, you know, it's another reason why snacking less often is really good for gut health because you have this thing called the migrating motor complex. And it's basically moving food throughout your gut. But if you're eating all day long, you don't get that migrating motor complex. It doesn't function as, as properly. So things slow down and then bacteria can build up. You can end up with, you know, ferment, fermentation of your food in your gut, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, and just That's like SIBO, correct? Oh yeah. Yep. Got it. Okay. Holy cow. Um, I actually know people with, with, with like uh, inflammatory bowel diseases who started to fast regularly and they went into remission. And I was like, wow, like that's pretty powerful stuff. The fact that like your gut can heal itself, but it needs to be given the space to do so. Of course. All day, every day, then we're not really giving our gut opportunity to heal itself. Okay. I want to go a bit off piece here to some of these uh, I don't want to say trends because it seems that there's robust data to support these practices as being overwhelmingly good for you. But as I've been getting into things like cold exposure, heat exposure, fasting, then now sunlight, which I have avoided like a friggin' plague. Talk to me because as I explore things like, we'll say cold exposure, and I watch people like yourself lecture on this, like, and one of the benefits is mitochondrial biogenesis. Is there a connection between cold exposure and health of your mitochondria? And if so, what would be the mechanism there? So one of the things that I want to kind of explain to people is like a broader perspective on not just cold cold exposure and heat, but also like what is the sort of way that we can really optimize mitochondrial function? Right. Right. And so cold is one of the tools in the toolbox, right? So there is this, there's this thing called mitohormesis right? So what is that? Let's break it down. Mito means mitochondria. Oh, okay. Hormesis means small amounts of stress will make you stronger. So what, what I, I had a friend, he taught me everything I know about mitochondria. Like he was like my, my, he, he taught me which researchers to follow and, and how they function. But the big thing that he taught me was this concept of toggling between mitohormetic stressors. So I was like, what do you mean by that? Got it. So heat and cold is a toggle switch. Demanding work and recovery is a toggle switch. Fasting and feasting is a toggle switch. Exercise and recovery is a toggle switch. Um, weight training. Carb and- cycling, as you mentioned carb previously. Cycling, and car- oh, car- fat and tap fat and carb metabolism. Um, hypoxia, hyperoxia, right? Like people who free yes. develop stronger. Hypoxic training right? and breath work. Hypoxic and then training. oxygen. Set. It's like the Wim Hof, like hold yeah. your High pressure, normal pressure, right? HBOT and normal, right? And then we get, and then there's like even psychosocial stress and quality time with, with friends. Um, xenohormesis, eating plants, 
wild forage plants that can actually make you stronger too. So there's a toggle switch between you, you give the mitochondria a little stressor and then you recover and this back and forth of these switches makes them function better. And this is the real core concept of the book is like, this is what activates the spark in the cell. This is what creates mitochondrial quality control. This is what activates biogenesis and mitophagy. Wow. This is what literally makes us, this is what, this is what life used to look like before, wow. before we drove cars all the time, before we spent more time indoors, we used I to have understand. the light, in the, the light in the dark cycle is a big one. So getting sunlight early in the morning and get really dark in the, in the, in the night, it's these switches we, we flip over and over again that create Incredible. a better functioning body. But wow. the, key, the key you got to think about is that everyone's a lot of a lot of people that are out there and very gung ho about health. They're going to be like, uh, okay, I'm going to do all of them. And it's like, okay, hold the, hold the phone. Tackle <laughs> it right one piece at a time. Before you go out, be careful with your body because you got to know what your body can handle. We right. like bodies want to adapt over yes, time. Yes, of course. And so I had a friend who started doing cold plunges. And he started doing one minute, then two minutes. And then before you know it, he was doing 20 minutes. Oh, I, I, I didn't get past five. You shouldn't. You don't need to. Too much stress on the body is going to break the body. And so you can have too many stressors, too many motorhormetic stressors, too much, you know, I fa- stress plus fasting and ketosis that will, as a woman, you're, you're going to end up with hormone dysfunction. So take it from me. You don't want to overdo these biohacks. You want to try to dose them properly for your body and always tune in always, always tune into your body and be like, okay, what does my body want today? What can I handle? Like light and dark is pretty easy. You know, work and recovery is pretty easy, but like, once you start doing the HIIT training, the weightlifting, the sauna, yes, the fasting, I am doing all of it. Many of those, And this is why people are like, oh, biohacking doesn't work. And I was like, no, you did too many of them all at once. Yes, and for I women in particular, it. we got to be way more careful than men because we are far more sensitive to stress and if we layer too many of these biohacks on top of each other, we're going to end up with hormone dysfunction. Women who lose their period because they overexercise and they under Yep. I totally understand. Incredible. Okay. I want to ask you about this section of your book, biohacking your sexual spark. So ah. I mean, look, libido is a monster issue right now. Oh yeah. Huge, huge oh, yeah. issue. So everybody's yeah. going to want to hear this. Yeah. It would. I don't have explain this one to me. Yeah. So, um, I personally have a company that's developing a modern sex therapy, um, cause sex wow. therapy hasn't really been innovated in like 50 years. Not so, at all. Um, we're basically like trying to develop a, a protocol that both helps people screen for sexual dysfunction. Cause I don't know about you, but I personally dealt with three different sexual dysfunctions in my twenties and I didn't even know it. And wow. I, I was able to heal myself, but it was one of those things where I don't think most women even know they have a problem. Like most women don't know what hypoactive desire looks like or hypoactive arousal or, or sexual pain is a big one. And then anorgasmia, there's a lot of women out there that have never had an orgasm. And so I was like, well, how do I design a therapy that can help all these problems? Um, and the big one is, is, as a lot of, a lot of people don't, first of all, we don't talk about sex openly like we should. And it's a very taboo topic. Sex, sex is still very, very uncomfortable for a lot of people to talk about. Um, but some of the cool things that I've discovered are things like this peptide PT one forty one, also known as Vilesi. It's actually a, it's actually approved for sexual arousal as an injection, but you can get it from compounding pharmacies and doctors for, um, as a, as a sublingual or an intranasal form that can also work. So I'm really bullish on peptide therapy, but again, 
you want to go with, you know, companies and, and sources that are reputable, but this has been known to increase arousal in women. So it's, it's um, something that I actually am, am investigating myself as part of our company. But you know, the, one of the weirdest things that I learned about sexual sexuality from my, I'm, I'm working with these two amazing sex therapists, um, Aaron Michaels and Saida Desolets. These people are just world-class and they're like, totally not from the mainstream sex, sex therapy world. So I love working with them because they're, they're like teaching me stuff that you just can't read in books these days. But, you know, for so long, women have thought that it's all about having a small tight pussy that makes us have better sex. And it's all about men having a big penis, right? So this is actually really a problem. And it's a problem for everyone because men feel consistently self-conscious about not having a giant penis and women feel self-conscious about not having a tiny vagina. And we need to get, this is a big, 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 big problem in society. And it's been perpetuated by porn and it's not true. (laughs) So so you can have ecstatic sex without having a penis inside you at all. You can have great sex with not, with having like larger labia. You can have great sex, even if you have a smaller penis. Like this is like this idea that this, that size matters for and women need to be small and men need to be big is bullshit. And I want to, I want to demystify this. And so one of the things that these therapists have taught me that this is not in the book, this will be in the next book is, so I love Kegels. Don't get me wrong. Kegels make, make me feel like I have a str- stronger pelvic floor. Sure. Absolutely. You overdo the Kegels and you already have a hypertonic pelvic floor. You can actually worsen your body's sexual function. So you can what? have too tight of a pelvic floor. So what? it's important <laughs> to know whether or not your pelvic floor is properly functioning or not. And the other thing I didn't realize- How was would you that, even know if you have too tight of a pelvic floor? We're, we're, actually, we're actually designing a, a self-examination as part of the therapy. Incredible. So that wow. people learn how to do a self-exam because a lot of people will never go to a pelvic floor PT. Just as important as it is to do your pelvic kegels is learning how to push your pelvic floor. So pushing out your pelvic floor during sex can create engorgement of your, of your actual, your vulva and your labia and engorgement of your labia and your vulva creates more tightness, actually not just having a tighter musculature, but actually pushing the, the, the tissues and pushing blood flow to those tissues will create engorgement and actually enable an easier access to your G spot, easier access to your cervix. So we are taught that we need to hold in our organs. We need to pull up our organs it's actually just important to push them out. Just like, just like men need to learn to engorge their, oh God, it's like your toggle scenario all over yes, again. I know it's wild. Oh and God. I was like, golly, I didn't even know this. So, so what you can do when you're masturbating is practice pushing, practice, pushing out your pelvic floor, practice like engorging your, 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 your genitals. And, and during sex, if you do this, it, it'll, it'll actually matter less what size your partner is because there's going to be more, there's going to be more tightness naturally, oh, and there's going to be more pleasure naturally, and there's going to be more arousal naturally and more wetness naturally. And so like, I'm like, man, I, when I learned this, I was like, my mind just blew apart. I was like, nobody taught me this. Like, no, I've never heard this one before ever. That's fascinating. Stuff. But I'm also a big, 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 big believer in breath. And so like, using your breath to circulate your energy during sex with your partner can dramatically heighten pleasure because your breath is literally creating cellular respiration and it's moving energy through your body. So you've got to remember to breathe during sex. Most people will tense up during sex and tense, 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 because we've been taught that 
that's how you have an orgasm because that's where a lot of people, when they were younger, when they were masturbating on their own, they were hiding because they didn't want to be sh- like you, you weren't allowed to like masturbation was wrong as a child. Yeah, right. So we tense up during sex because we were kind of conditioned to do that, but really breathing and, and circulating your energy and breathing in and pushing out and like learning how to circulate your energy. And it's transformed my sexuality, which is pretty, pretty remarkable these days. Yeah. Okay. Doc, um, <laughs> question of the week here. Every little thing we can do, obviously, to improve mitochondrial health, supplements, question mark. Are there supplements in particular that relate to the health of our mitochondria? Because this is actually something I've not ever given specific thought to. Yeah. Well, so there's a my, there's a there's a peptide called MOTC that's getting a lot of popularity these days for improving mitochondrial function. It's a mitochondrial signaling um, peptide. So that's something that I've experimented with and had great results with personally, but I would recommend getting a doctor who knows regenerative medicine before you go out and buy it online. Um, And then semaglutide and Wagovi and all these GLP-1 inhibitors, they're all improving insulin sensitivity, which at the end of the day- I hate that stuff. I know, I know. And here's the thing. I hate that stuff. You have diabetes though. It's a godsend for people with diabetes. Okay, I understand that piece, but like you've got perfectly healthy people with 20 pounds to lose- taking this shot that has all these potential side effects to it. Yes. And one of the big, what are the big days is that a lot of these people are, if you're, if you're not lifting weights regularly and you're just taking these drugs to lose weight, you're going to lose muscle mass and that's not good for longevity. So it's really important for people to know. And also if you already have a normal body metabolism and you take these medicines, you can get serious anxiety and panic attacks from dropping right. your blood heart palpitations. Oh. And yeah. I, I'm like, you, you don't want to, so, but I'm, but for people who have obesity and people who are diabetic, it can be a godsend for these people. Okay. So okay. let's just kind of put those in the, in that, in that marker. Now okay. there's, there's a product called MitoQ and okay. it's a, it's a form of coenzyme Q10 that is highly bioavailable and coenzyme Q10, especially if you're a woman and trying to get pregnant, you need coenzyme Q10 for mitochondrial function. So that's a really important one is coenzyme Q10. Um, there's also like millions of people on statins and I would definitely personally not take statins, but, um, but I do know that a lot of people need to take them and that depletes coenzyme Q10, which is really bad for mitochondrial function. And this is why statins can contribute to diabetes because they can affect insulin sensitivity. So if you want to have a healthy body and you're on statins, you got to take coenzyme Q10. Um, and so I like MitoQ. That's my favorite brand. Um, and then I also would recommend, um, there's a newer supplement out there that I'm really excited about. It's called Urothilin A. I do have to say that um, this company, MitoPure, is, is worth looking at. They have a Urothilin A supplement. It's a deri- derivative of pomegranate. And it, it increases mitophagy. So for people who don't want to fast, or maybe you're under a lot of stress, but you still want to increase mitophagy. That's when I would use it. Um, and then another one is PQQ. It's a form of resveratrol that's highly potent, highly bioavailable. And it's another great tool in the toolbox for mitochondrial function, along with Alcar, um, acylcarnitine, especially for people who eat, who eat higher fat diets can help digest fats more efficiently. I could literally speak to you for hours upon hours, <laughs> uh, but this is why there's a book. Guys, Yeah. get the book it is a game changer it's gonna blow your mind in you know exponentially compared to what you learned just today in this podcast 
can you tell me about your, your teaching this course? Can you tell yeah. everybody kind of about this? Yeah. So I used to teach at Stanford before I moved to Austin. And so at Stanford, I was teaching a course on health span extension. So how do you extend the number of healthy years of living? And um, this course was like, when I taught it, it was like the number one course in the department. I had great reviews. It's really a curriculum for health. It's like a full on college level curriculum for health. It's like, I think somewhere around 18 lectures. So it's a lot of, wow. so if you're really hungry for more knowledge and you like this podcast, like all the details that went into this book were, were actually from the course, but even there's actually even more knowledge in the course and it's in the book. So it's a super comprehensive. It's on sale um, until the book launches January 31st. Um, and it's, it's called the health span, um, your health span journey. And you can find it on my website, www.drmolly.co. Um, and yeah, I'd love for you to take it. It will be guys also in the show notes. So if you're driving, if you're on the move, you can't write it down. Don't worry. Check out the show notes for this show and all of it will be there for you. Um, doc, you are, <laughs> you're a very, very impressive individual. Thank I you. Cannot thank you enough for your time. <laughs> I've heard so much, right? I'm always like in this, in the zeitgeist and interviewing different brilliant doctors across different fields of wellness sure. And then there are these individuals like yourself that are digging deep into the data and making these unbelievable connections um, and just blowing everybody's mind. And you're, you're one of those people. I'm so oh, grateful to so much. have had your time and to be deep into the book right now. And I'm personally going to take the course and I would love to have you back. And I cannot wait for the second book. You're just awesome. Everybody get this book, The Spark Factor supercharge your batteries for limitless energy and a fitter, stronger, more resilient future. It will very clearly change your life. You are amazing. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the show, do us a big favor and subscribe on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it just helps us get the show out there, get heard by more people. We really appreciate it.